Welcome to Geek Hard right here on Reality Radio 101. And now, right to your geeks, Andrew Young and Mr. Green. Here we are, your geeks coming at you, and we're all in a tiff. Tiff 2023. I'm your host, Andrew Young. With me, as always, is Mr. Green, and this is Geek Hard. Hey. Hey. So for those of you out there that are listening tonight, welcome. Good to hear from you. But uh, unfortunately, we are not live once again. We are. That's right. We are totally fake. This is not real. This is not happening. I didn't say we're not a live. <laughs> I said we're not live. We are AI generated hosts. God, no. Well, that would be terrible. Because you know it would get all the wrong things about us. You know, it would say, if you're going to geek out, geek a lot. You know? Because <laughs> no, they always get much, something wrong. No, they're getting much better. That's the that's the real fear. Uh, well, we got a great show for you tonight, though, folks. It's our first full TIFF episode for TIFF 2023, the Toronto International Film Festival. Later on in the program, you're going to get to hear my interview with actor-turned-director Meredith Hammett-Brown, her feature film Seagrass. Her directorial debut is premiering at TIFF. We'll be talking with her about that. Also, we've got a TIFF review coming your way as we talk about the film fitting in. And you'll be hearing our review and what we thought of that movie at the fest. And in mere moments, you're going to hear an interview I did with director Casey Lum, a writer and director who has his film debuting at TIFF, his short Bloom, which is a pretty fun, interesting thing. And uh, Jody Belfour is the star of it. So we're going to be hearing that interview as well. That's all coming your way tonight. Well, Mr. Green, right now this is pre-recorded, but what are your predictions right now? What do you think you're doing right now at TIFF? Right now, I am thinking that I am impatiently waiting in a line to sit down. Okay, I, I'm thinking that I am on a break and that I've gone to Oh My Euro and I'm eating some lovely Euro. Sounds great. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I think I'm doing right now. That, that sounds a lot better than what I think I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. No, I have the, I, I'm having the better time at TIFF, folks. It's happening right now. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. You guys hey. are, t- you guys are at TIFF right now? Yeah. yeah. I'm there too. What? Whoa, hey. We're all there. We're at TIFF. I'm on Festival Street. I'm watching a movie on the big screen. I'm listening to Nickelback. That's what I'm doing. You know, they're on the Festival Street this year, eh? No, let's They're not. They're doing a show that the Nickelback is doing a show. Because that's when I think movies. I think Nickelback. Hey? Hey? Oh, yeah. Never made it as a wise man. I don't know what their songs are. They, they sing some about that, right? Uh, I don't know, man. This I tried is to... how you remind me. Oh, stop. Just Look at no. this photograph. They, some, they sing about photographs. I know that. Yes, just about photographs. Every song is about a photograph. So I'm okay. I'm I'm rocking out to Nickelback, even though I'd be like the entire time I'm going, Yeah, they don't suck. They don't suck. I'm lying to myself. That's just, you know, that's how we get through things, right? Like Tiff. To lie to ourselves? Absolutely. There you go. There you go. So that's what I'm doing. Well that's great, old man. It sounds like sounds like you're having the best time. Oh, I'm having an amazing time. It is, it's, it's a transformative experience and it transforms the way we see life through film. 
You read that off the website, didn't you? Yes, I did. Tiff, folks. Tiff.net. That's where the movies are listed. You should go there. Yeah. So we'll see you out there on Festival Street, old man. Oh, yeah, I'm going to be rocking it. Nickelback, yeah. There he goes. Well, we've got a great show for you tonight, folks. Stay tuned as you'll get to hear my interview with director Casey Lum talking about his short film, Bloom, starring Jody Belfort. Right here, Geek Card, Reality Radio 101. Hey, everybody. Jimmy the Short Order Cook here asking you, what's better than listening to Geek Heart? Answer, listen to Geek Heart while wearing a Geek Heart t-shirt. And there's a place you can get them at tpublic.com slash user slash Geek Heart. We got a bunch of great shirts there. We got Geek Heart shirts. We got a Mr. Green's Tasty Meat shirt. Hell, we got a Back Issue Bloodbath shirt. For all your geek needs with your geek merch, you want to go to tpublic.com slash user slash geek heart. I'm not just asking you. I'm telling you. Welcome back to Geek Hard right here on Reality Radio 101. And now, right back to your geeks, Andrew Young and Mr. Green. Welcome back to Geek Hard. Andrew Young and Mr. Green here on our first of a few special Toronto International Film Festival-centric episodes. Before the festival started, I had a chance to talk to a number of great filmmakers, including the young man that you're going to hear from right now. He's a writer director he made this film bloom which is like a really interesting film starring jody balfour and i'll let of course him explain it but this guy's going places i'm telling you he's going places and he's he, he all he got started in uh filmmaking because of his love of skateboarding and i'll explain that to you as well let's take a listen right now to my interview with casey lum welcome to the program casey lum Thanks for having me, Andrew. Well, thanks, for, thanks awesome. for talking with me today, man. We're uh, just a block away from the Bell Lightbox. Yeah. As we're recording this, the first press conference for this year's TIFF has just taken place. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're in town, of course, for your I short, am. Bloom, which will be premiering at TIFF. So for people who haven't heard about the film yet, what is Bloom all about? So Bloom is a short film. It's a 10-minute short film about uh, a breakup. And it's a, sort of a surreal take. It shows Jodie Balfour. She plays Laurel. She's going through the phases of this breakup, all the while having this strange relationship with a house plant. So it is, it's funny. It's, I was talking to somebody else, and they were mentioning it was sort of like a sci-fi. Mm. And uh, I could see a little bit of a sci-fi aspect to it, but it's kind of this eerie Lynchian, if I can say Lynchian. Yeah, yeah. Uh, vibe to it. Yeah. No, I, I can see that. Like I said it's very like because it's all Jody. Mm-hmm. It's all on Jody. It's the experiences of one person after a breakup or 
you know, finding out they've broken up sort of <laughs> yeah, situation. Yeah. Kind of all that stuff kind of dumped on one person. And I know she did a lot of like close up shots. Mm. It was very like almost claustrophobic in the way that you dealt right. at the beginning of the film with those feelings and emotions. And it's really interesting on how you guys explored how someone deals with all these feelings by themselves. Because like I can see mm-hmm. in Jody's performance, the choices she makes, there's like almost self-judgment. Like she's not lashing out at herself. She's not letting all the emotions mm-hmm. flow. She's in denial. Mm-hmm. So when you guys were shooting that, did she show up and like, this is what I have prepared? Or were you guys playing with it the entire time? You know, I think Jody did. She did some deep diving and she prepared well beforehand we'd been talking for like maybe 10 months prior to production so she had plenty of time to go deep with the character i think what helps not come come off as like this she's just pouring out emotion on screen is there's these action-based scenarios where she's you know walking through the space drunk or she's having a shower and she's seeing this thing i won't give too much away but those help show that emotion show these things that are going on mentally and uh i think it's better than just blatantly showing her crying or right exactly yeah Yeah. because well that's the thing it's like like what i saw from that it's like i identified like when i've had breakups and stuff like Mm. that when you're alone you know it's like you don't just automatically like you're not just sitting there crying the entire time you're going through a myriad of emotions and Mm. this Mm -hmm. you see it all through her it's minimalist dialogue it's just one person Mm -hmm. in one location and it kind of says everything that needs to be said in that situation i know you're somebody that loves to take the simplistic approach to show the complexity of Mm. a character or a situation so when coming with this, was it very much like a lot? You're like, let's try to do as little as possible. Like, was it a minimalist kind of like, even with the performance? Mm. I knew technically what I, I had, you know, planned out, blocked things and, and p- planned the camera out much beforehand. And I'm just like, you play within these bounds mm-hmm. and we'll see what we get. And she, it was really cool. It was like watching it on the first take. It was almost like watching the film leave me and become more her thing and it was it was fun to it was very fun to see that happen and become a little bit detached from it and know that it's now a collaborative piece of art her performances are amazing and i i couldn't have asked for a better talent to play her part her part oh yeah no definitely it's like she kind of puts everything you need out there on the screen yeah 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 and she does it with also so simply like even the first scene when she comes home it's not like this overt, big, I, I'm home. Like it's, it's very like understated. And I think that's sort of her, how she plays her character through the whole film is this understated but very like heavy character. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful to watch. And I'm, I couldn't have wrote it in a better way. I think she took it and did something amazing with it. So Right, right. And as the story progresses, of course, because we're dealing with, you know, human emotions and you know we we get dark when we're dealing with this sort of stuff Mm. but in the end the film is very hopeful and kind of has that sort of feeling as one does when they realize you know i'm gonna be okay i'm gonna get through Mm -hmm. this Mm -hmm. was this based on any personal experience or what what gave you the inspiration Mm. to tell this story so i mean yeah i've been through breakups but this particular situation hasn't happened to me i wanted to leave it on a hopeful note because i 
I mean, we do get over things. Like, things happen to us in our life, crazy things that we have tough time, a tough time dealing with and coming to terms with. But in the end, you're, you're going to be okay. Like, you're going to get through it. So it, I wanted it to show this sort of, like, you're okay, you, this thing happens, and then you're, you're back to being okay. But it does change you. If somebody, if somebody asked me, why didn't you have her, you know, die at the end? And I'm, I don't think that's the right way. Yeah, to, that's to, not a great, yeah, yeah, that's not <laughs> a the right great ending. message of like, oh, well, certain things fall upon your life. It should all fall apart. Yeah, no. Yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, I think it's, it's just a short, succinct way of showing how relationships end and how you get through it. Oh, totally, I see mm. that. Yeah. Now you shot it on thirty-five millimeter, and I know you also shot Kingspin, mm-hmm. your first short on thirty-five as Whoa, well. Whoa, throwback! Very yeah. cool. Yeah. So, what is it about thirty-five that? What is a capture that you look for that digital can't? In technical terms, it does a beautiful thing with highlights. You could blow film out, and it still has this character that this characteristic that is. It just doesn't look well good with digital. You know, mm. like it's. You could grade digital to sometimes get close to, to film, but there's also this feeling of when you're rolling film that people are, like, present, and you're, there's no time to, you know, mess around when you're rolling film. So there's just a visceral thing that I, I don't think you can achieve. You, you can get close to, but you, film just does it, and it's natural in that way. Right. If that makes sense. No, that does make sense. Now, a lot of your stuff, of course, you've done a lot of commercial work. You've done music videos. Mm. Of course, these shorts. The through line that I've noticed, because there are some directors that like to show a film as a, like, or a piece as a mm-hmm. presentation. You've done your homework. Like, of course I like I it. Have. I like it. Yeah, there you go. Some people show it as like a presentation. So it's like, it's like here, this is something I'm showing you. Mm. And then other directors you know give that connection like the characters kind of bring the people in and i feel like a lot of your work does that whether you're working on a commercial or a film and with the storytelling of that like i know with your commercial work you've got a client that you've got to appease Mm -hmm. that they want their vision shown but is that something like a through line with you that you want to have something that kind of connects and relates to the viewer i love working with people who are just characters and they evoke when you watch them, they evoke an emotion. And I, I like letting people play on screen because it really is all about people on screen right. a lot of the time. So I do tend to like creating a character that can be characterized when someone's like watches this thing. Like in Kingspin, we had a guy wearing an all red jumpsuit. And it's easy to identify. And just building this character and letting them doing this thing, it's enjoyable to watch. Right. right. Yeah. And it creates a world. I guess. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. Your stories do feel very lived in. Like, mm. they don't feel like, like, here it is. Now you're, it was just beginning. It feels like we've already come to the story mm-hmm. in motion. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I see that through a lot of your work now. That's cool. I like that take. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, that, like, that's what I felt like with, with, when I watched Kingspin, I felt that with kind of all of the characters. Mm. That it's like, we've kind of come into the second act of all of these characters. And I know that Kingspin is a, is a film that, you want to go back to. I know you've currently got like an mm. Indiegogo campaign. You've got mm. plans to tell a story with maybe a little bit more money. Mm. So is this going to continue right from where the characters left off? It's going to be a few years after. A few years after. Yeah. Okay. That's the plan. Okay. So. Yeah. 
once again, we'll see these characters kind of in mid-motion yeah. of what yeah. they're dealing with. Totally. And you know, it's interesting that you talk about these lived-in stories that I feel like you just kind of pop in and you're in the midst of this, this situation. I think, especially with Bloom, it's 10 minutes, so it's quite a short, contained mm. piece. And I've had people ask, do you want to make this into a feature? And, I mean, I'm not opposed to it, but sometimes you know when you're writing something, when, when you f- have hit the perfect time or, like, the perfect amount of time right. for a story to be told. And so I think it does that really well. Not to boast or anything, but I yeah. think it, the story is told with, in the perfect amount of time without getting stale or feeling like I'm trying to fit things in. And, again, it's all thanks to Jody as as well and boldly the boldly team from vancouver yeah production team uh they keep everything going as planned when a story's told it's like you don't need to go back like that's i feel like that's a problem a lot with um you know the commercial aspect mm. of entertainment is that there are tons of times when the story's been told but then they come back and they make another season or they make another they make a sequel or something like that and it's like now we're kind of these characters aren't even in the same because the story mm. that we were looking at doesn't really connect to the first one. Like, I guess money, I guess, you know, when people want to make money, yeah. you could do all sorts of things to get to, get to that point, right? No, totally. But I, I truly believe that it's nice to just, for the sake of art, make the thing that you want to make, do it within the time you think it needs to be told, and then that should speak for itself. Like, you, you don't really need to go out and make Bloom 2. yeah post breakup Jody right you can just keep it as it should be yeah exactly because sometimes it's better for the audience to make up their minds of what happens with this character afterwards Mm. do you feel like sometimes because of the kind of nature that we get instant response and instant gratification that there's a lot of audience members that have kind of lost the ability to create that story for themselves like they're always like we need another this Mm. and people are clamoring for it when you feel like maybe it's better in your head yeah, that's an interesting question. There's probably a bit of this romanticized, this, I could enjoy this thing forever. Mm. But I, I don't know if that's true. I think, I mean, I finished Succession recently and I thought that that was the perfect amount of, of seasons to tell that story. And yeah, I think maybe sometimes we romanticize that we want to see more of something, but maybe, but maybe we don't need to see it. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And you know, people, you can always just rewatch the show you can it's still there and it's still get the same feelings <laughs> yeah, exactly uh, yeah exactly so now you've shot that and of course a number of shorts as i mentioned commercial work music videos mm. do you have an itch to go for the long form i got an itch i'm currently trying to <laughs> trying to write a feature length script that is somewhat autobiographical with a bit of surrealism a bit of kingspin in there as well vibes so we'll see how it goes, but I am excited about it. And I think it's, I've always just been a little nervous. I feel like it's quite a, the feat to go mm. for a feature. So yeah, taking it day by day and maybe I'll learn something, something new watching all these films at TIFF. Yeah, no, definitely. You know? Well, that's the thing. That's a, you'll probably get a lot of inspiration yeah, at yeah. this fest. Yeah. What does skateboarding have to do <laughs> with your love of film? Skateboarding. My first love. So I grew up in a little town in just outside of Vancouver called New Westminster, mm. and I grew up skateboarding. I did a lot of sports, but skateboarding caught my attention 
and they ended up doing that for I'm still doing that it's probably been almost 27 years and in the early days a friend of mine and I bought a camera together and we just started filming little skateboard videos that kind of had a bit of a narrative to it like we mm. would you know go to this spot play characters we'd be some fictional character and then we would skate and we're doing it to get the clips and the tricks but we were right. also testing out or at least I was testing out how to tell small stories yeah yeah, yeah. I caught a couple of clips online and at first I was like oh this is really well and there was like oh wait a that's him on the board okay <laughs> yeah. he's out there so skating. I do skateboard <laughs> yeah I do skateboard <laughs> not just a filmer I think it definitely piqued my interest in for the world of you know filmmaking and it's interesting I feel like there's a lot of filmmakers that come from skateboard like spike jones came from that world bmx and skateboarding combined but he's also a large inspiration yeah it just teaches you to also act fast because yeah you're you're doing tricks and you you don't have like all day with these guys that are you know falling again and again so you're told to sort of just go with the flow and i think that helps teach you things for sure yeah i think so well definitely going with the flow is always good in any type of entertainment thing and i feel like you guys really caught a good flow with bloom the we have the emotional flow in that is very very powerful but uh feels very real doesn't feel melodramatic at all Mm. so uh congratulations on that man thanks andrew and uh i'm i'm pretty sure it's going to be a hit here at tiff and a lot of people are going to enjoy it fingers crossed yeah fingers crossed (laughs) (laughs) well thanks so much for talking with me man thank you and i hope you really enjoy tiff appreciate it So that was my interview with Casey Lum. Of course, Bloom is playing as part of the Shortcuts program at TIFF this year. And, of course, getting Jody Belfour as your star, that's that's a nice coup. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, again, uh, everything at TIFF um, is always is always interesting, you know, like you're always going to find new, interesting, different things. And uh, definitely this is one of the reasons why you go check out new things like this and see short films is another great way. We've talked about this almost every time we talk about film festivals. It's a great way to see the, into the future. Definitely. Definitely. And you know, it's interesting, as he mentioned that even though it's a very human, very personal piece, there is that element of kind of like fantasy sci-fi in there. It's very light, but it's there. Uh, so definitely check it out. We're going to take a commercial break. When we come back, we'll be giving our review of Fitting In right here. Geek Car, Reality Radio 101. Remember when you used to go to the comic shop and browse through the stacks, picking up comic after comic, talking to your fellow customers and the store owner about what books you should buy? What kind of outside people daywalker nonsense are you talking about? I don't go outside. Well, thank goodness for Back Issue Bloodbath with Andrew Young and Petula Neal. When we talk about comics old and new. Mostly old. But sometimes new. Every Wednesday, new episodes drop at geekartshow.com or wherever you catch your pots. Check it out and have yourself a good. Uh, 
Welcome back to Geek Hard right here on Reality Radio 101. And now, right back to your geeks, Andrew Young and Mr. Green. Welcome back to Geek Hard. Andrew Young and Mr. Green here. And, of course, right now we're at TIFF. Mr. Green, where do you think you are right now? In a theater. Oh, wait a minute. What's that? Uh, this is now this. Yeah. Hopefully inside of a theater sitting down watching something truly amazing. That that sounds amazing. I'm still at all my Euro. That's the food is amazing there. <laughs> this is a not sponsored ad right there. Or could it be? Could it be? Hook me up on my Euro. Hook me up. Definitely. Oh my God. Well, we got a chance to check out a film just last night at the festival. And we thought we'd review it for you right now. Let's take a listen to our review of Fitting In. And here we are. We have just seen a film at TIFF. We're going to be giving our review of Fitting In, written and directed by Molly McGlynn. And here to read the synopsis is, of course, our good friend, the old man, who somehow I didn't realize he had a press pass as well. There's a lot of things you don't know about me, you know. You ever read The Old Man Times? It's good. No, I've never, uh, I've never read that. You should really read it. You know, there's a lot of information in there. That sounds like it. Yeah, like uh, best place to buy a wallet. It's in there. Really? Yeah. How okay. To, how, how to whittle? That's in there as well. How how to whittle? How to whittle? Yeah, you know, like whittling techniques to make the best, like flute. Okay, yeah. that's fair. Yeah. So here we go. Here we go. We watched this uh, tonight, uh, right? That's just the film we watched. Well, I know me and Andrew watched it. Yeah, I was, I, I was there. I, I, was don't, there. I don't remember seeing you there. Yeah, well, you know, I was in the back. Oh, okay. It was very comfortable in the back. There you go. So, uh, so yeah, fitting in, right. A teen girl is diagnosed with a reproductive condition that upends her plans to have a sex life. You're telling me. Propelling her to explore unusual methods. Her relationships are challenged with everyone in her life, but most importantly, herself. That's what it's all about. You know, sometimes you realize that the greatest adversary you will ever have is your own self. This is true. This is actually very wise from you. Yeah, well, you can read all about stuff like that in the Old Man Times. I will look for it. There you go. It's available in most, but not all, INS newsstands. Okay, cool. There you go. And some Jiffy Loops. And some, okay. Yeah. Not a lot of Jiffy Loops anymore. Yeah, I know. Well, that's why it's hard to keep them as a uh, distributor. That's just fair. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot, old man. Hey, you know, I'm here to help. And there he goes, the old man. So, yeah, as we said, we saw fitting in at TIFF. The film is playing throughout the festival. Mr. Green, what are your thoughts on fitting in? Um, well, as as you well know, this was our well, my technically third choice for the, to start to start the festival. However, my inability to get to the festival on time forced us into watching this. Force is the wrong word. It yeah. just it just unfortunately because it made it the only selection of all the selections that we had picked. That made that made sense left. So yeah. we went and saw this. And, uh, it, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it, wow. It's weird for me. Like when I, as I think about this right now, the two of us talking about this film seems very, I won't say inappropriate, but very odd because odd. But at the same time, I think it's good to show that, you know, 
different genders, different ethnicities and everything should all be checking out all different types of film, you know? No, 100%. And I'm just saying, like, uh, obviously, as we both know from our, well, from the fact that we've been, you know, colleagues for a long time, friends, arguably sometimes, that uh, uh, it, this is not a situation that we can personally relate to. No, no. But that's also... Sorry, what not relate identify with that's also what tiff is all about it's learning Absolutely. to you know discover other people's experiences yeah no 100 so, yeah, percent. And, yeah. and that was and this is something as i was watching it that i was like i kept thinking you know this whole time i'm like i have no direct understanding of of this experience right you know uh, i don't have a um a medical condition that would cause these things and I am not a woman however that being said the film itself is very moving it's very powerful and yet hilarious throughout yeah it kind of reminded me of Juno in that sense yes. where they're tackling yeah. very dramatic themes for a teen to go through but it's funny yeah, that was the that was a bit of the of the surprise, especially as it started to move into the actual story of what the crux of this plot was going to be about. Mm-hmm. Um, I kept thinking, I was like, "Oh, okay, we, we yeah, we're getting into like you know a, a tearjerker moment, right? Like this is what the rest of this film is going to be." And but they didn't shy away from it, and I, I was glad to see that because I it's something that I've talked about in um, you know about other films, you know, and and television shows recently where we see more of the real. You know, and yeah. and and what I mean by that is the fact that even with tragic circumstances, you know, or heartbreak, or um, you know, uh, medical situ- like very serious medical situations, there even as serious as any of those things can be, humor is always part of it. Because I remember going through the death of my grandparents, and at both like both of them, and. Mm-hmm. It was you. You have those fun memories, and it just you know. Sometimes you need to laugh, and that's as I was watching that. The you know, watching this film, I kept on thinking about it. It's like, yeah, sometimes you need to laugh at the things going on, like you know, whether it's a nervous laugh or something to break the uh, you know uh, the silence, as it were, just something to alleviate it, you know, because otherwise, sometimes your emotions just get the better of you, and then all you want to do is cry. Yeah. And of course, that is part of this film too. You know, there are there are some tear jerking moments, and the other thing I super appreciated about this film is the fact that the kids who are in high school are either are or close to that age and actually feel like teenagers. Mm. You know, they don't feel like you know. You and you know as well as I do, like what I'm talking about. Like, well, yeah. Well, that was something much more popular when we were kids. That it yeah. would be, they get 25, 26 year olds to play teenagers. Yeah, it's hilarious when I go back and I watch like a quote unquote high school movie from the 70s, and I'm like, that dude looks 40. Yeah, right. In the 80s, like Johnny Depp, who actually was probably the youngest looking of the cast of 21 Jump Street. Who was still like he was? Uh, I think he was twenty five at the time. But it, mm. of course, the story was supposed to be that he was twenty five, passing for. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, he probably could, but like re- the rest of that cast, no, they did not look like they were in high school. And it's something that I've always, you know, as much as I like 
high school films and and in college films, one of my biggest complaints has always been the age appropriateness of the of the of the actors. Right. And here, I think that all of the kids pull that off very well. And again, not being a teenager for a very long time, uh, I'm just gonna go with a wash and just say I think they're talking the right way. <laughs> I'm old. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna straight up say it. I'm old, and uh, I don't know all of the lingo anymore. And I'm not even gonna pretend to know, like the right words. But it's things. not like they did like any crazy kind of like. No, it wasn't lingo like, type thing. It wasn't like it wasn't like Juno in that sense. Yeah. Juno was trying to make it sound like this is what the kids talk like. You know. Yeah, I'm just saying. Like it, they, they do say some things at times where I'm just like, mm, is that how they talk now? <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's like, but again, I, I just, I do marvel at it. The fact that they, they felt authentic is really right. what it comes back down to. Right. And I think the performances throughout felt authentic. Like even Emily Hampshire, who plays the mom in this, which I find weirdly hilarious to myself. Cause I, I think of, cause I don't. Well, only of, 10 years ago we saw her in the Trotsky and that was supposed to be like a 22 year old character, you know? Right. So I, yeah. I, that's what I mean. It's just, it's just. But then, of but course, that's the thing. It's like as soon as you hit thirty, yeah, they they make you play a mother. I guess. Well, and in this case, like, and it does, and she is age appropriate. Yeah, you know, to have like a sixteen year old, it oh, makes yeah. it makes perfect sense. Um, especially if she got pregnant when she was young as well. Like, mm-hmm. that, that that's a thing, right? So, but no, I, I thought her performance was um, was really well done, and uh, she brought a lot to the table, and the relationship between. Uh, uh, her and Maddie Ziegler who plays Lindy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought their relationship um, just really made a lot. Of, like, I remember my relationship with my mother at, when I was sixteen, mm. and there was a lot of what they were doing. Right. That I was like, oh yeah, no, that that does track. You know, like especially being, I was, uh, you know, it was just me and my mom. Yeah, a, like sing- a single parent family like that. Yeah. Now. So having a like quote unquote adult conversation sometimes they happen. Right. No, I get you. And I told, I was like, oh, okay. And that's, and so with all of that put in there, I was like, fuck yeah. The only thing that didn't feel like real to me, and it's only because it wasn't my experience as, as a high school kid, was like the bravery to stand up for and say certain things in public. Well, that's the thing though. I feel like there is a lot more opportunities now for teens to do that because there's been a lot of positive movements towards that and being able to stand up and be your true identity. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Yeah. And and that's great. And that's, I'm just saying like it, that it, it didn't ring as true for me because it's not, it doesn't replicate my experience. Right. Right. But your experience was a long time ago. That's, so. right. <laughs> that's right. Yes. That, I was a teenager about 150 years ago. Turn of the century. I, I, I was his teacher. Yeah. <laughs> Where do you owe me? Oh, yeah. You know, I taught him shop. Yeah. Well, I taught him how to whittle. So there you go. Yeah. I'm a whittling fool now. Oh, you're a fool. All right. Oh, old man. There he goes. But yeah, but like, you know, you brought up, you brought up Maddie Ziegler and Emily Hampshire in this, but it was a pretty, pretty good cast all around. Like, uh, of course, uh, DeFaro Unite from um, Reservation Dogs mm-hmm. was in this. And, uh, you know, I thought Juliet Amara as uh, Vivian in this was great. But oh, yeah, I know. She, she is also a good stand. And then yeah. this is the second in the same amount of weeks where Rachel Hunter has had a 
supporting role in a film and just been hilarious this time as a uh as a counselor <laughs> she has a great two scenes as the counselor there yeah emma hunter not rachel hunter right the uh yeah that's actually a totally different person <laughs> yes that's a totally different person i meant emma hunter yeah yeah well, it's like wait a minute uh <laughs> But uh, no, it brings up a really great point about the the whole every all the cast members in this and every character in this. That yes, there are assholes in this, you know, and then there are like there are true assholes, which we see like Doug and a, and a few others, mm-hmm. right? True assholes. But then there's the accidental assholes, like right. like the doctor and you know and a few others, even the mother at at points, mm-hmm. especially early on. Um. And I'm like, all of that tracks, you know, because people are complex and weird and sometimes they say and do the wrong fucking thing. Yeah, well, even Maddie herself does the wrong fucking thing a few times. Oh, yeah, few, quite <laughs> more than once, that's for sure. Holy yeah, yeah, crap. yeah. But she... She's learning. But she's 16. Yeah, exactly. She's 16. She's learning. The name a 16-year-old who hasn't done a shitty thing to another person. Oh, fuck, don't even talk to me about that. There you go. You know, it it was, but that was the thing. As I watched it, I I kept on thinking, I was like, yeah, it just, it, uh, you know, it touched me. And I was, I was surprised because I, you know, I'm jaded and cynical and old. And uh, this turned out to be, you know, quite a little movie that I think uh, deserves all kinds of praise. Yeah, this was the film that uh, a lot of uh, a lot of Canadian filmmakers that uh, we may have had on the show before, or that we've reviewed their films, were all saying this was the one they were most excited about seeing at this year's fest. So that was the reason why I was like, "Oh, I want to check this out." And yeah, it turned out to be quite an enjoyable comedy that felt very real and dealt with you know complex themes in a way that everybody could find a way to relate to them. Yeah, and bring to light uh, a medical condition that I have no, like, yeah, understanding yeah. of. Yeah, yeah, Like, and I don't even mean, like, in my personal life. I just mean, like, I didn't know that was a thing. No, well, yeah, it's a thing. You know, like, I can totally believe it's a yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. But I'm like, I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah. It's it's like, okay, that's, uh, that you know, and it was just like, but it, some of the stuff that she goes through this, I was like, oh, man, heartbreaking. Yeah. And uh, but yet by the by the end of the movie, you're kind of, I feel pretty good about her. Like, I feel like she's yeah, she's going to be OK. Yeah. And that was but not in a schmaltzy way. And that's no, no. That, in like a just a life way. Like this is, you know. Yeah. Like there's you know, it ends on a nice note where it, you feel like she has turned a corner. And the right corner. So I take it you liked the film. I enjoyed the film very much. I thought it was it was exactly what I thought it was going to be. Okay. So I was I was happy with it. Like I was like, oh, okay, this is the film that I was expecting it to be, and I was really I was impressed by it. I enjoyed it, and I thought the performances were great. Yeah. No, I have to concur. It was I was very enjoyable first film of the festival, which also fills me with a lot of uh, fear and loathing now for the rest of the festival because last year was the exact opposite. I started off on not a great experience for myself mm-hmm. and the rest of the festival really improved and really impressed me. Now I'm afraid that the rest of it's going to go downhill and I'm, like there's some really good films I'm looking forward to. Don't jinx yourself, man. It's going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. It's going to be a great tiff. Everybody's going to love tiff. 
It's going to be the best TIFF ever. Isn't that what we said last year? We'll have to go back and listen to the tape. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe I did. Maybe I said it. Maybe I didn't. I don't know. But it, it's going to be the best TIFF ever. It's just going to happen. Okay. Fair. Yeah. There right. you, you go. You know what? I'm going to believe you. There you go. I'm so choose to believe you. And I will say, when this film finally does get released, I think you should definitely check it out, or at least when it comes to rental or streaming. Yeah, no, absolutely. I would, I would strongly recommend uh, checking it out. It was really good. There you go. That was our review of Fitting In. The film is playing at TIFF, so check it out, TIFF.net. See if there's tickets still available and if there is a screening that works out for you. We're going to take a commercial break. When we come back, we'll be listening to my interview with director Meredith Hammer-Brown about her film Seagrass. Right here, Geek Card, Radio Radio 101. Want to advertise on Geekard and be heard by thousands of listeners? It's easy. It's simple. It's fun. Email us at geekardshow at gmail.com for information on our advertising packages today. Welcome back to Geek Hard right here on Reality Radio 101. And now, right back to your geeks, Andrew Young and Mr. Green. Welcome back to Geek Hard. Andrew Young and Mr. Green here. We're wrapping up our episode tonight of our first Geek Hard at TIFF 2023. And uh, so far, it's been a great one. And we're finishing off with my interview with director Meredith Hammer-Brown and her film Seagrass. Let's take a listen to that interview right now. Welcome to the program, Meredith Hammer-Brown. Thank you so much, Andrew. Well, thank you for coming on. I just actually got a chance to watch Seagrass today, and it was very moving. A lot of emotions that come out, and what I really like about it is that it's not in any way melodramatic. The emotions are shown very real on the screen. For people who haven't had a chance yet to see Seagrass, what is it all about? Yeah, so Seagrass, uh, I would say, follows a Japanese-Canadian woman who has recently lost her mother. And this has created a rift in her relationship with her husband. And so the story follows her as she takes him and her two daughters to a self-development retreat on a remote island in British Columbia. And as they try to work through their issues, this creates a certain level of uncertainty uh, for the children. Yeah, that, that level of uncertainty is like played really well. Because again, you know, like we've seen a lot of films that deal with, you know, grief and loss and, you know, a partner not understanding or not being willing to understand. And they usually always take on a much more like, you know, over the top moment of like, there's a big moment between them and it really, it doesn't feel like it should. Whereas in this film, the moments are very real. The moments mm -hmm. are like, and they're so uncomfortable when they are real. Yeah. And like you sit in them 
you sit in them, you give the the actors the time to sit in them, you give the audience the time to feel that uncomfortableness. How important was it for you to like actually give those moments their due? It was very important. I definitely feel like I feel like it's sometimes what you can't see on the page that needs to be expressed when you make the film. Like you can describe it in the script, but I do feel like with this film especially like it's not the dialogue it's not even really the events sometimes like it's it's interesting what you were saying cuz it's not so much about the questions of will this family stay together or not for me i was really a lot more interested in looking at each character's internal world and like what's going on inside for them internally and trying to bring that to the screen in those moments of silence yeah and i felt like each of the characters in the family all have their own version and definition in their head of what alienation is because they all feel isolated in a different way. Yeah. Was it very important for you to explore isolation through the many different like lenses? Yeah, I think it was. And <laughs> it's interesting because, you know, I've been with this project since late 2018. And maybe I didn't think about the word alienation in terms of all of the characters before. But I think that's a great word and isolation. Like, I think it's a theme I'm very attracted to. And for me... The word, like kind of the word I kept coming back to was uncertainty, but I think there is something isolating that they're also all going through because they're not able to connect really with one another in the story. Yeah, yeah, there's the, yeah. the lack of connection is really felt because it's <laughs> like you just, you're sitting there and there's moments in it where I'm just sitting there watching it going, oh, why'd you do that? Yeah. <laughs> oh, and I know that when I feel that, when I act, like when I'm actually thinking, oh, why'd you do that? It's like, oh, that I'm really invested in the feelings that these people are going through. And right. the, the performances in this are just fantastic. Of course, you got Ali Mackey in it, who like gives an amazing breakthrough performance in this. But even like the smaller characters like Sarah, Sarah Gadon and Chris Pang, who are like that, you know, stereotypical perfect couple who have the, you know, grass is greener on the other side type look. Those are hard characters to pull off because they can easily become like a stereotype or a uh, too much, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But they they play it right to the line. Yeah, so, they really do. So working with these actors, like how much direction were you giving them? Did a lot of them come with what you needed already in place? Yeah, I think that whenever I'm casting, I guess so much of it happens before everyone comes to set, like the discussions. Or also just like, you know, when I am casting someone, just kind of thinking about their sensibilities. And if I am auditioning someone, just like actually seeing it, of course. But if I'm just talking to someone, just, you know, I definitely think about their sensibilities. And I think that they all came to set bringing so much more than I could have directed them towards. Like, they're all such incredible artists that every single person did come to set and bring something new to the character. And then... You know, of course, there's always a bit of finding it together through discussion and and on the day as well. Yeah, well, yeah. I feel like they really knocked it out of the park here. I think they really got your vision on the screen there. Like this film touches on so many emotional themes, mm -hmm. um, you know, dealing with generational trauma, mm -hmm. feeling disconnected from your heritage, casual racism, disillusionment. Mm -hmm. So... I think the, the the key to it, though, is that the fact that it's presented so simply, like mm -hmm. it's just people living. It's people trying to find an answer for themselves. 
And was that the, like, when you were approaching the script, was it like, I want to touch on all these things, but I want to do it naturally? Of course, yeah, because I think there's, there was sometimes a desire to explain more. (laughs) (laughs) And, like, I think anyone gets that when they're trying to touch on big themes, and especially ones that are important. There's often, like, you just want to explain everything, but you can't because (laughs) it also wrecks the film. It it's not about, I don't think like to me, when I made this film, I wanted to touch on themes that are deep rooted to me, but I don't feel that it's about answering all the questions that I have. Right. And I think like, I don't really like to watch any film that talks about any topic and tries to answer all these questions. Cause that's not really, that's not really like, it's not real. Yeah, It's not interesting. And yeah. it's also not really like it, it can be simplifying things as well. And these aren't questions that I have in my life that have easy answers or one right answer. These are bigger questions. And so it's more about asking the question. I think the final scene of the film, of course, we're mm. not going to, we're not going to say what it is, but like the final yeah. lines of the film for me, I felt like, well, that's the realization that I felt that Judith was working towards all along here. Was that maybe some- decades? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> maybe decades. So, was that something that when you when you started writing the script, did you realize that Judith was going to come to that realization, or was that always the plan, or was that something that you found in the writing? That's such a great question. Yeah, um, trying to remember when I think it came fairly early on in the writing process, but like not right at the beginning. But pretty early on, without giving anything away, I do feel like there's this level of disconnection that people often have in long-time relationships and marriages. I see it so often in, you know, friends or families' lives. And I think that, yeah, it's it's an unsettling realization to come to and such an unsettling thing to live with as well, right? And I think in the final moment, it's about speaking some sort of truth to that is what she has to overcome in the film rather than whatever the decision is between them. Right. Right. Yeah. This film, of course it takes place in the past. Would you say roughly like nineties, early two thousands, somewhere around there? Yes. Yeah. In 1994. 1994. Okay. Perfect. (laughs) Yeah. Well, watching that, it did like, that was the one thing it did feel. It did have that feel to it. But what I really enjoyed was the exploration of kids at that age during mm-hmm. that time because you know mm-hmm. now kids have a very different life There's yeah a lot more information available to them and of course so, yeah. yeah and so in this you know the characters stephanie and emmy they're kind of just discovering things on their own when you were writing that portion of it was any of it based on personal experiences like the childhood experiences yeah. specifically yeah um for sure i mean I definitely feel like this is very much a fictional film, but it comes from a personal place. And when I was writing the scenes with the kids, like for me, a lot of those moments didn't happen or I never went to like a retreat with my whole entire family, but I have gone to a retreat with other people or a smaller man, my family, or, you know, a lot of it was even drawing on like this one weekend. I had this overnight camp, like, you know, summer camp. And it was two nights on this island and the island everyone thought was haunted. And I was just terrified the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) Little bits and pieces from my life and then changed into like a different context or a different type of scene. So yeah, there are some, some moments for sure that, that are more personal. 
Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like the other thing that made it feel very 90s to me was just how overt the casual racism is mm-hmm. in this film. Or it's just like people just throwing it out there, not even thinking. Like that to me felt very real. Yeah. I mean, I think that childhood and adulthood, you know, I think when you're biracial, like you do see a lot of this as well. And like, yeah, and also just directed towards Judith as well. And I think it was important to tie those moments in. Like, obviously, it's all condensed into this one week or whatever it is. And in life, I think it doesn't happen necessarily like all at the same yeah. week. Um, but you do hear things throughout your life or have uncomfortable moments and encounters with that. And so, yeah, some of that is definitely drawn from personal experience. And I think because of sort of the family history that they have, it felt important to weave it in, in places. Now, this was your debut feature. And so coming from the shorts background that you have, and of course the other work that you've done in the entertainment industry, what was something new that you discovered now jumping into to feature films? Well, it's a lot harder. <laughs> it's I like, know, I know. I give you like, here's here's a question that's loaded. Like it's just like, do you have forty minutes? I get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, geez. I mean, it's different in so many ways, and also so similar as well. It's. I think after week one of shooting, I was like, oh, how am I gonna? <laughs> can I get through this? <laughs> it's. And I mean, it was also the most beautiful and fulfilling month of my life shooting this. So it was, it was both, you know, it was, it was so joyful, but of course it's a strenuous process. And I think, yeah, what I, what I felt the most was just like, oh, that kind of intensity was so strong with the feature. And I think making a short is already quite an intense experience. You have to really like, just make it happen. And then doing a feature it's the same thing except just so much so much more of everything so much more sums it up definitely yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i know it seems simple but <laughs> Ooh, but it's no but it's true definitely um so of course this will be premiering at tiff how excited are you to actually get to show this film in front of a canadian audience i'm so excited i mean yeah, it's just a huge, huge, huge honor. And I've gone to TIFF a few times to support other films of friends and whatnot. And so it's just, yeah, just kind of surreal that I'll get to be there and very exciting. Oh, there you go. Well, I hope you have a great time at the festival. I look forward to uh, more people getting to see this film and maybe I'll run into you on Festival Street. Yes, I hope so. <laughs> there you go. Thanks a lot. Have a great day. Okay, thank you. So that was my interview with Meredith Hammer Brown. Her film Seagrass is playing at TIFF. So go to TIFF.net to see if you can get tickets for it and check it out. Mr. Green, we've come to the end of the program. We have indeed. Quickly, where do you think you are now? For sure in a theater watching something for sure at this point. Okay. I'm probably asleep in a theater because I just ate way too much on my Euro. This happens. This yeah. happens. Yeah. But... It's it's good to be at the festival. It really is. Yeah. Where can the good folks find us? 
Uh, as always, if you like what we do here, you can find additional content over at patreon.com slash geekard. For everybody who participates in that right now, we thank you guys ever so much. Uh, additional content is always available through YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest. Yes, even Pinterest. Search Geekard Show on any of those platforms and you'll find us there. Of course, check out our website, geekardshow.com, for more news, reviews, and the podcast version of this very show available on Mondays after 2 p.m., but of course, if you didn't listen to us tonight, uh, like you would do every Friday live, um, and you're super forgetful like I am, which we all know I am, the best thing you could do is to what, Andrew? Is to subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice, be it the iTunes, the Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, River Catcher Pods. And please, while you're there, leave a five-star rating and review. Also, folks... Please subscribe to the Geek Card YouTube channel, youtube.com slash show. We want to get to 1,000 subscribers before the end of the year. Absolutely. And if you want to continue the conversation with us, you can always email geekheartshow at gmail.com. I want to thank Casey Lum and Meredith Hammer-Brown for talking to me over TIFF. For Casey Lum, for Bloom, for Fitting In, for Meredith Hammer-Brown. For Seagrass, for Tiff, for Mr. Green, and for Yuri all the way back there in the booth, this is Andrew Young saying, if you're going to geek out, you might as well geek hard on Reality Radio 101. Thank you for listening to Geek Hard right here with your hosts, Andrew Young and Mr. Green on Reality Radio 101.